If you're anything like me, you've probably had this experience where you were watching your favorite TV show, and as the clock was ticking, it's drawing near the end, it's not quite finishing up as it's supposed to. You know, TV shows have that ability, don't they, to take the most complex problem in one hour, it's fixed. Life is like that, isn't it? But it gets closer and closer, and, and it's not done, and you're going, what, how are they going to handle this? Wait, 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 how are they going to handle And And pretty soon it gets here, and those three words show up on the screen. To be continued. Ah! And I sit there full of angst. What? I've got to wait a week for this? And then I find out, no, 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 no. You're not waiting a week. It's the end of the season. You're waiting till the fall or you're waiting till whenever it is for it to show up again. And in a sense, that's what I'm doing with you today. Because part one of this sermon was November 12th. Part two is today. Now, I am not so prideful as to believe that you are going to or that you should remember any of my words from November 12th. I mean, after all, Jody and I at times disagree about words that we said just yesterday, no less 11 or 12 weeks ago. So with that in mind, my goal today is to briefly review what we talked about. But I want to first encourage you, you can listen to the whole message. It's, it's on the website. It's from November 12th. So my goal is not to, to re-preach that but to summarize that, but then to launch into how we finished at that message. And if you weren't here, what I can tell you is, we said that the next step is to think about how do we live this out? How do we take this and move from, this is really a nice idea, to what does this look like in the midst of our day-to-day lives? And so that's going to be our primary focus of today. But first, we'll begin with review. But before we do that, Join me as we pray, please. Father, it is our privilege to to come before you. It is our privilege to be together. Lord, in ways that most of us, I think all of us, just take for granted, we are so blessed by your word. Lord, how I pray that this morning your word would be not just an add-on, not just a filler, but that your word would penetrate deep into our hearts. Father, we praise you that in the midst of all that's gone on this week, in the midst of all that's gone on just this morning, that we can be absolutely assured that you are here with us. And it's in the midst of that that we say, thank you, God. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So if you would, turn to, if you have a Bible or open up in your, uh, whatever you're using, to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12 starting in verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important important is... Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. 
and to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And we identified how it is that that was such a sad statement, that closing one. You are not far from the kingdom. For while the scribe knew the Old Testament scriptures so well, what we identify as Old Testament scriptures, what he didn't know was he didn't know the Messiah that he was speaking to. And the question that I asked last time is, but how about those of us who identify Christ as our Lord and Savior? How does this greatest commandment apply to us? In this incredibly familiar passage, Jesus presents to us this, I'm just going to call it all-inclusive plan for living the Christian life. Look at what he says in verse 31. There is no other commandment greater than these. Did he really mean that? I mean, it sounds like a silly question, I know, but it's one we each have to answer. Did he really mean that? This is the greatest commandment. My answer is yes. Jesus didn't just throw around words. He wasn't known for saying things just for effect, things that, that I might do or you might do. So what then is the greatest commandment? Starting in verse 29, he says, the most important is Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, remember who he's talking to. He's talking to a scribe, a Jewish leader. And he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 6, and then from the book of Leviticus, something the scribe is going to know well, and we hear from how he responds. You're right, Lord, he says. Sometimes, though, we can parse this too much, I believe. And I want you just to hold on to this. When Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, he's simply saying this, with everything you've got, with all you've got inside of you, with all your mind, with all your thinking, with everything, love God. So this isn't just an intellectual exercise. This isn't just a, a, a spiritual moment. No, it's with all that we have. Love God and love others. It's interesting. The Apostle Paul took this very thing in the book of Romans, chapter 13, and he says this, verses 8 through 10, he says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are all summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And he says again in the book of Galatians, chapter 5, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. Easy, right? Ugh. I wish. I want to challenge us today to, to think about some of those challenges. Oftentimes when a couple asks me to do their wedding, we're picking out scriptures, they'll say, well, let's have the, uh, and I've had people say to me, that, you know, that, that wedding scripture. You know what it is, right? 1 Corinthians 13, right? That wedding scripture. And I oftentimes say to them, are you sure? Are, are you sure you really want that? Yes, we want that wedding scripture. Okay. Well, let's look at that wedding scripture for a second to see what kind of insight it gives us to what does this really mean to love? So, 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. I'm done. <laughs> okay, next. <laughs> Somebody else come up here. <laughs> Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. By the way, did you know that boasting is not just a matter of the lips. It's what we think, too. So people might say, no, no, you're not a boaster. I've never heard you boast. Well, that's great. But when I stand before God, he'll remind me because Psalm 139 verse 4, verse 4 says, before our words ever touch our lips, he knows them. God knows them. So we may boast and not say a word. It's not arrogant, continuing on, or rude. Ouch. It does not insist on its own way. This can't be true. <laughs> this is a wedding scripture, right? None of us who are married can relate to insisting on our own way ever. It's okay to laugh. It's better than crying, okay? It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. I think of what Sean's been preaching on in 1 Peter what Christ taught us to endure, hardship, persecution. Love calls us to endure. When we don't do any of those things or we do those things that we shouldn't, we are not loving. We are not other-centered. We are, I would suggest, Self-centered. I would suggest to you that one of the biggest challenges that we all face is coming to grips with the fact with just how selfish we all are. And if we can't be honest about that in church, or can we? I know we shouldn't, and I know God doesn't call us to be, and Christ died to take away the penalty for our sins. But can we please remember that Christ did not die to take away the presence of sin, that we all still fight that, but we fight it not on our own power but by the power of the Spirit, because the penalty for sin has been taken. The power of sin, we are no longer slaves. But that is a reality that we suffer with. We are so can be. And at this point, I'll not, I'll not generalize that. I can be so self-centered. And that is not 
living out the greatest commandment. To love God and to love others. For those that were here last time, you remember that I had a a carpenter's square that I, in a senior moment, forgot the name of. I held it and I looked at it, and I literally could not remember the name of it. So I didn't bring it today, so I wouldn't run into that risk again. But basically, it was this. I know, it's... Might as well be truthful here. Loving God, it's vertical connection, and loving others. Those two things cannot be separated. So if someone comes into my office and they're talking about, I'm really struggling with how I'm loving somebody, I will oftentimes ask the question, okay, how's your relationship with God going? I didn't come in to talk about my relationship with God. I came in to talk about the problems I'm having with my, I know, I know. I'm just curious. Some of you are smiling because you know that ticked you off when I asked you that. (laughs) If I'm struggling with my relationship with another person, my relationship with God is going to be impacted. If I'm struggling with my relationship with God in some way, I'm going to struggle in ways in how I love other people. If there's something that is a problem for us is that we want to at times do this. I really love you, God. I praise you. You are mighty. Leave me alone. I want to do it my way. Holy are you, God. You get the point. At the same time, I want to be very, very clear about this. The most beautiful worship I think we can do is to come to God in tears, acknowledging, I've been blowing it big time. I have not been doing it well. I've been treating people unkindly. And God, I come before you, a broken man, acknowledging that you are Acknowledging that you are a perfect God and that I can be broken before you. That's great worship. So I don't want you to think that I'm implying we can't worship God when we're in the midst of of sin. What we must do, though, is we must be honest before God that we're struggling. So, Gosh, God, I didn't see that one coming. So I said, let's be practical. How do we live this thing out? Loving God and loving others. So here's the first one. By the way, if you and I were sitting in my office, we would talk about what you like and what you don't like and things you enjoy and things you hate and things that bother you and whatever. And from that, I would say, well, let's talk about how you're doing in one of those areas. But seeing as I would take a few hours to hear all that, I've chosen three. Here's the first one. We all relate to this one. Whether you're a visitor here, whether you're here for the second or third time, whatever. How do you do at greeting people on Sunday morning? I heard that nervous laughter. There are some people who walk in the door and I'm... I'm not joking, it's, I see my seat, there we go, and it's got my name on it in invisible ink, and I'm sitting down, and then, okay, I'm ready, and everyone's behind me, and I didn't see anybody, and I snuck in, I'm good. And I know that for some people, it's really uncomfortable. I, 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 I get that. But I want to suggest to you, keep in mind this, our goal is to love others. That requires that we must get outside of ourselves and do what might be very uncomfortable. So, here's my challenge to you. Practical step number one. 
I just had a flash of Mission Impossible, should you choose to accept the mission. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs> My Bible's going to catch fire here in a second. <laughs> Here's my challenge to you. Every Sunday, before you leave, whichever door you walk out, greet, say hello to at least one person that you either don't know, you've never met, or two... You don't know them very well, you've seen them, or three, you've been in church with them for years and you forgot their name and you're so darn embarrassed to say anything because you should know their name and you forgot. Every week, do one of those things. And if it's the latter that you forgot somebody's name, now some of you can't pull the card that I can pull. <laughs> I can say, I'm in my 60s and I forget things a lot now. <laughs> and I get away with it for a while, but I don't care how old you are. I implore you to be honest before God and with another person say, please forgive me. I'm really embarrassed, but I forgot your name. When someone does that to me, I cannot tell you how excited I am they do that. In fact, somebody, somebody look at me and go, why are you happy about that? I go, I'm happy because I'm not the only one. There's other people who forget. Thank you very much. But you know what else it does? It provides an incredible form of modeling for other people. Oh, it's okay to do that? It's okay to admit, uh, you forgot, or I forgot, yeah, yeah. So, live out the greatest commandment by greeting at least one person you don't know, haven't met, you recognize, or you've forgotten their name, or if I forgot something in there, add that to it. Practical step number two, building upon what we just started with. Move now from just saying, hello, nice to see you, well, glad you're here, got to run, have it, great. Now, reach out to an individual and ask them a question. <sighs> so here's some of the standards, right? And I'm going to say this in a joking way, but I don't mean it, they're fine. How are you? Where do you live? How'd you find out about us? Do you have kids? Where do you work? Do you like to see hawks? You... Whatever it might be. And those are not bad. I'm not saying they're bad. But I'm suggesting that you go one step further. Ask questions about, uh, actually, I'm pull back. Ask a question and then Listen really carefully. Do not right away say, oh, well, I do too. Or, well, I live by there. And it's not that it's bad, but just listen. Here's what I want you to listen for. Listen for what brings them great joy. What makes them really happy? Listen for what's a heartbreak. Listen for how they've really had a hard time. Listen for something that was so much fun. And then do something really crazy. Ask them another question. Somebody says to you, I love hiking. Cool. Now in your mind, you go, they love the outdoors. They love exercise, they love the Northwest, they, cool, I know, I know you now, you love hiking, I know you, but ask the question anyhow, what is it about hiking that you really love? And you may be surprised to find out that the person says, well, this may seem kind of weird, but I love hiking because I leave my phone in the car 
and I'm t- nobody can reach me, and I always go with a buddy, and we talk, and we talk about things that I don't have time to talk about during the week, and I love that about hiking. Now, if you never asked that question, you would have never found out that this is a deeply, deeply personal, uh, a person who values interpersonal relationships. But now you know that you can enter into their world by asking them more questions. They might ask you questions, by the way, the more that we ask of other people what we're doing, we're also modeling to them, you know what? That's a pretty decent thing to do. Not just sit and talk all the time, but ask somebody else something. Ed Welch wrote a book entitled Side by Side. Looks like this. Ed Welch is a biblical counselor, teaches at the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation. It's called Walking with Others in Wisdom and Love. Our community group went through this and it was excellent. He says this, we want to be moved by the things that move her, referring to interaction with a woman. Then having her on our heart, we pray for her or we ask, how can we pray for her? The next step, asking questions, can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? And then, the coup de grace, next week. Hey, how are you? I've been praying for you. Or, how's that situation going that that I prayed about, we prayed about together? Follow up and ask. This sounds so trivial in some ways, doesn't it? And yet, this is a practical way of living out the greatest commandment. That's the second one. Actually, one other thing. I forgot it. It Another thing that, that Welch had said. He said, the better you know other people, the more you enjoy and appreciate them. That is, the more you love them. And the more you love them, the more you will be invited into their lives during hardships. The more you enjoy and appreciate them, that is, the more you love them. Do you enjoy and appreciate other people when we gather together, when you're in a community group, when you're wherever? That's how we express love. Now, practical step number three. For this one, I need you to tighten your seatbelt. And I need you to hold on tight. Let me remind you, my cell phone number and my email is in the directory if you would like to communicate with me. I don't respond to anonymous notes. (laughs) With that said, practical step number three. How do you demonstrate love to someone who approaches you to talk about the struggles they're having with same-sex attraction? It's really quiet. What do we do with that? A couple of definitions and limitations to this discussion. Same-sex attraction, that's exactly what it means. Being attracted to a person of the same sex, romantically and physically. It is speaking not of behavior, 
but of attraction or desire. And I'm assuming, for the sake of this discussion, this person is a Christian. And if you and I were sitting in my office right now, I would ask you, what's going through your mind right now? What are you wrestling with right now? I'm going to guess that there are some people right now who are saying to themselves, Larry, don't venture too far away from the truth. We have to stand up for the truth. The culture is eroding God's plans every day, and we can't just sit back and take it. And I agree. It's true. Jesus himself said, we must speak the truth. In love. We must speak the truth in love. So does this mean that we are to love someone who deals with same-sex attraction? Yes, it does. Do we encourage that they act on that attraction and they engage in same-sex behavior? No. We absolutely do not. Because Scripture is very clear about that. We do not. Brad Hambrick wrote a book I would recommend to you all. Very little book. It's called Do Ask, Do Tell, Let's Talk. Now the rest of this title is going to I'm going to guess, cause a little bit of why and how Christians should have gay friends. <laughs> I know I'm pushing the envelope here. He makes this statement in the book. Let's talk in a way that reveals we all need the same thing. The grace of God to change our hearts, rearrange our expectations, and redeem our desires. Grace that meets us where we are but does not leave us as we are. Grace that realizes discipleship is a process and not an instantaneous event. We start there. But there are some things we can do. <clears throat> Excuse me. Some very practical steps. Number one, we can express thanks to the individual for trusting us enough to share this with us. And again, I can almost hear somebody saying, wait a minute, are we supposed to say that we think it's good that they feel that way, that they think that way? I didn't say that, did I? I did not say that. Please go home and listen to the tape. We can thank them for trusting us enough to share that with us. We can recognize how incredibly difficult it is to divulge this kind of information. Now, just to get an idea of how difficult it might be, would you just for a moment imagine telling someone about an incredibly shameful event in your life? Imagine how hard that would be. And I can tell you, as somebody who sits with people day in and day out, that I have people who've been Christians for 10, 20, 30 years who say to me, I've never told anybody this, but, and they've been a Christian all these years, and it's in there. Because 
it's hard to hold on to. And I'm not saying they're sharing just this issue, maybe any other issue there. Third, listen. 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 And don't listen to prove them wrong. Don't wait for them to quit talking and say, yes, but the Bible says. I'm not saying, read my lips, I'm not saying disregard what the Bible says. I'm not saying we should just put the Bible aside. Let's just be nice to people. I'm not saying that. But listen not to prove them wrong. Listen to know them. If you've ever had the privilege of hearing somebody's story, of hearing the challenges they've been through, you're going to know, you do know, the absolute honor it is that someone would trust you enough to share what one author calls they're fine china. Not the things they're necessarily proud of, but the things that are very fragile. Ask questions. What do you mean by things they say? What, is, what do you mean by that? And desire to really know them, not just the facts about them. Please, please, please do not assume that you know what they mean when they say whatever. I bet you've been in this situation. I've been there many times when someone has said to me, well, I know what you meant. I said, how do you know what I meant? You never asked me. Well, I know what you were going to say. How do you know what I was going to say? Ask me. You probably can't tell that riles me up when that happens. <laughs> and I respond sinfully at times, and that's wrong. So I'm not trying to say that's right always. But my passion is ask people what they mean. And please do not equate love with agreeing. Don't equate love. The greatest commandment is to love God and love others. Don't equate that with agreeing. This is a huge, huge challenge. Maybe some of you have been there where someone says to you, if you don't agree with me, then you can't love me. And I've had those words said to me. And that's hard. Because I absolutely do not agree with a lot of things. But I can love somebody by the power of God. And that's what we're called to do. My guess is that there are young people in this church who have already had numerous conversations with people about this very issue. Well, they probably went beyond just same-sex attraction that included behavior and a variety of things. Because what I know so well is that in my generation, things like this just were not talked about. And it's now so much talked about. And I'm not saying it's right. Please don't hear me say that. But I know it goes on. I read a story that broke my heart about a young man who grew up in a church, was active in the youth group, was active in the different activities of the church. And when he was a teenager, he began to be aware that he, he wasn't like his buddies. He, he seemed to be attracted to guys and not girls. But he never told anybody because he, he heard people making jokes about that and he heard people attacking others that were that way. And, and so he didn't say a word. He always 
just act like everything's fine. And he grew up and he graduated from high school and he went away to college. And while he's at college, he encounters um, a, a group of people, and I'm going to show my age here, a gay group of people, LGBTQ, RSTV, I can't remember all the acronyms, right? But, and what he discovers is they listen to him. What he discovers is he's accepted. And he never graced the doors of that church again that he grew up in. Now, again, if you and I were sitting, I would ask you, tell me what's going through your mind right now. I'm going to make a guess that there's somewhere saying, Larry, are you saying it's the church's fault? I'm not saying that, but thank you for asking. Larry, are you saying that it's with the church's responsibility to make sure that didn't happen? I'm not saying that, but again, thank you for asking. But I just wonder, wonder what would have happened if at some point when he was still a kid, he had heard that it was okay to talk about things that are really hard to talk about? What if he heard that God's love for him was greater than whatever his desires might be? Larry, are you saying that it's okay for people to be involved in gay relationships. I'm not, but again, thank you for asking me. But I am saying I wonder what would have happened. And I'm here to tell you that it's my desire that at Crossway Fellowship Anybody who struggles with same-sex attraction knows that they can talk about it. And for some of you, you may be thinking, oh, Larry, I wish you hadn't said that. Because I don't want to talk to anybody about that. I get that. P please don't hear me trying to force something down your throat. But I'm going to be very clear. I cannot stand by and not allow the gospel to be lived out, which is that we struggle with a lot of things. And if we pretend like it's not there and just go, la, 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 it doesn't make it go away. We must, must be willing to listen. Again, my email is in the directory. Feel free to send me a note. I probably will say to you, let's have coffee and talk. I won't engage in an email conversation with you about it. We'll talk about it. What is it that we don't want to be at Crossway Fellowship? And I'm still on this third Example, right? We don't want to be like what I heard a man say to me personally 25 years ago as he sat in my office. At that point, I was working as a family counselor up at Providence Hospital in the alcohol and drug program. And he said, you know, I'm working to get back with my wife. We're trying to reconcile. Awesome. I left her. I had an affair with a man. I'm working to reconcile that. And I'm never going to forget what he said to me next. You know the place that was the hardest for me, still is, to talk about this? My church.
that. The place where every single one of us is only here because we are saved by grace. We did nothing to deserve what we have. God's grace and God's grace alone saved us. And we can't be a place. Sorry, I got too round up there. And we can't be a place that loves people enough to say, I want to hear from you. I don't agree with that. And I want, to sh- I want us to pray together. I want to join you in, in thinking about what God says. But I'm going to walk with you in the midst of this struggle. That's living out, in my opinion, the greatest commandment. What do we, what do we want to be? We want to be what... Uh, a couple said to me recently, who had visited our church, they said, people here really seem to like each other. They, they really like each other. And I thought, praise God for that. That is a gift from God. People do care. My challenge to us is, take that caring and let's amp it up. Let's care enough to greet people. Let's care enough to to ask more questions. Let's care enough to engage with somebody who's struggling. By the way, I threw that out there. You know me. Some of you know me well enough. Intentionally as a grenade. The issue could be any one of a number of ones. and I, I chose that one. But where we engage with people about A lot of you know, some of you don't, but that for several years I was a professional dancer and I was one of the few straight guys that were doing that. I met some of the, the, uh, the kindest, uh, greatest in terms of just interacting uh, guys that I've met, they were gay. Do I believe that it is contrary to what the Word of God says? Yes, I absolutely do. I do. Do they deserve to be loved? Yes, absolutely yes. It broke my heart when I went to a retreat as a brand new Christian and I sat in the front seat with these three other, four of the guys in the car and all of a sudden, the gay bashing began. Do you know what that queer said? Oh man, that fat, do you know? And I sat there and I thought, what's going on here? Because I heard jokes being said about guys that I, I knew I had, I had lived with, I had spent time with, I'd worked with, I'd traveled with around the country. They weren't horrendous people. And I thought for just a moment, if this is what being a Christian means, I've got to choose being a Christian and therefore bashing these guys who I knew were great guys. What do I do? And there was this moment of, Ah, and praise be to God. He made it so clear to me and has since then that his love is what matters. It isn't a matter of choosing this or that. It's that his love is so far beyond anything I could ever imagine. But it lays, plays out in how we treat others. Well, let me say this. As we move beyond these three examples I've just laid out, I want to challenge us all to ask ourselves, how can we love God and love others in the smallest details of our lives? I mean, when you go to the grocery store and somebody cuts you off. 
I mean, when you're standing in line, waiting in line at the gas station, it's like, come on! You're stuck in traffic. The littlest of details, I want to challenge you to begin to ask, how do I love others and love God? Remember, love there is the, from the word Well, we know most often as agape. It's this other-centered love. It's the love of God that he has given to us that is about a matter of the will. I choose to love, not I feel like it. I choose to. In the littlest details of our lives. And please remember, that loving people is not going to look the same every time. There are sometimes the most loving thing I can do with somebody is brush a feather on their cheek. And there's sometimes the most loving thing I can do is smack them with a two by four. It's just, it's different depending on the circumstances, depending on the person. So we can't get into, it's always got to look like this. It's always got to look, it's always going to be different. The question we have to ask is, what's my goal? Is it to love God? Is it to love the other? Or is it to prove that I'm right? Or is it to get back at? Is it to prove that we're in control? Now, let me ask a couple really basic questions. Are we going to do it perfectly? Absolutely not. Are we going to make mistakes? Absolutely yes. Will we be selfish and unkind, impatient and rude, irritable and proud at times? Yes and yes and yes and yes and yes and yes and yes. yes. To live out loving God and loving one another in the smallest details of our lives, we must start with a commitment to grow in our understanding, in our acceptance, in our expression of God's grace. By so doing, we become a church that acknowledges our weaknesses, our inabilities to live the Christian life as God has called us to. For as we acknowledge our brokenness and we experience the grace, His grace, all the more, This in turn leads us to God and others well, to love them well. Because, and here's the groundbreaking statement of the day, it's not about us. It's about God working through us that we might live out the greatest commandment. Let's pray.